0: G'day you mob, Pete here, and this is another episode of Aussie English, the number one place for anyone and everyone wanting to learn Australian English. So, today I have a GOSS episode for you, where I sit down with my old man, my father, Ian Smithson, and we talk about the week's news, whether locally down under here in Australia or (laughs) non-locally, overseas, in other parts of the world, okay, and we sometimes also talk about whatever comes to mind, right. If we can think of something interesting to share with you guys related to us or Australia, we also talk about that in The Goss. So, these episodes are specifically designed to try and give you content about many different topics where we're obviously speaking in English and there are multiple people having a natural and spontaneous conversation in in English. So, it is particularly good to improve your listening skills. In order to complement that, though, I really recommend that you join the podcast membership or the Academy membership at AussieEnglish.com.au where you will get access to the full transcripts of these episodes, the PDFs, the downloads. And you can also use the online PDF reader to read and listen at the same time. Okay. So, if you really, really want to improve your listening skills fast, Get the transcript, listen and read at the same time, keep practising, and that is the quickest way to level up your English. Anyway, I've been rabbiting on a bit. I've been talking a bit. Let's just get into this episode, guys. Smack the bird and let's get into it. Dad. Pete, (laughs) what's going on?
1: So, have you done a Bradbury lately? <laughs> you mean come from behind and win an Olympic gold medal? That's it. Well, it's not necessarily I know, literally it, that, it, right? It's, you don't it have is, to win a gold
0: medal. You have to triumph unexpectedly in a sport event, especially due to luck or well, not the just even a sport event, a life event. Now, yeah. I think it's. I been... don't think it's necessarily sporting anymore. But no. yeah, so if you come from behind in any kind of situation yeah. and then end Compl- up triumphant. but not
1: just come from behind. It's come from behind when everything looks hopeless.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's it, right? And, yeah, it's doing a Bradbury. Yes. You can you explain where that comes from for anyone who may not know? Yeah,
1: it. for those who don't know, Stephen Bradbury was a, a speed skater, um, an Australian speed skater. Ice skater. Uh, yeah. Ice skater. And at the and a sprint skater, not the long track skating, um, which is you know, people just get out there by themselves and they're effectively doing time trials. Sprint mm. skating is that you've got four or more people on the tra- on a small indoor effectively an ice hockey rink at once at once and just herring around as fast as they can go uh, and With at the 2002 winter olympics he made the final um, so he's a good skater anyway uh, but he was quite clearly the not in, not expected to certainly <laughs> the win least he might he might have got a medal um, you know if he'd done very well in the you know the final of four people mm-hmm. uh, but coming around the bend at, on the last lap coming into the straight to finish he was dead last he right. was fourth and the three people in front of him got tangled up and all fell over mm-hmm. um and he just skated past them and won
0: <laughs> right um, in the last so turn yeah, with yeah like right on the last turn 50 yeah, like 50 left meters left, meters yeah. left. Yeah. and he gets a gold medal
1: and he gets the gold medal so and
0: probably our first and last gold medal for speed skating at the winter olympics yeah i can't
1: imagine we're ever going to have another one so
0: <laughs> but i remember him getting interviewed after that and it being like um, you know, did you what was your plan? What was your strategy? And he was like, stay at the back, get of out of the way. Yeah, and, and hope just, that somebody falls, hope over falls over and he could win a medal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so it was hilarious because he'd actually meant to do that yeah. intentionally. It yeah. wasn't like he was trying his hardest and was just getting smashed and was no. left behind. No. It no. was if he... he'd
1: been trying his hardest, all four of them would have gone over. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. But yeah, he managed to just do it. And I think speed skating is probably one of those sports where that happens so frequently towards yeah. the end of a race yeah. because they are still so close to one another yeah. and they take risks or nudge one another to try and get out of the way. Yes. And, um yeah, so it was a, a freak occurrence, but it, it, it's cool. It's a cool story because it instantly entered the zeitgeist, the Australian culture, right? Pop culture. Yes. And doing a Bradbury became a, a common phrase that you would hear that became like a, a you know. A, what would you say? You'd hear it in your house all the time. Yeah. Within probably, what, months of that event happening? Maybe a year? Oh, yeah. It became well, just... yeah, within weeks or months. Yeah. 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 And it was probably the media turned it into a thing. Oh, yeah. Well,
1: he became instantly famous mm-hmm. around the world as the shock and awe story yeah. in sport. And you can see, see the video a, of it. Go after, on YouTube yeah, and you'll see the video. Yeah, after a week... The rest of the world had sort of lost it, and every now and then it had come up in sports metaphors and things of yeah. Oh, you remember Stephen Bradbury, that Mm -hmm. guy from Australia that did that in the Olympics. Uh, But within Australia, it just yeah, Bradbury became not just a name, but yeah, the thing.
0: It's so funny, isn't it, when like an event takes place like that, where an occurrence, something happens that isn't necessarily the first time it's ever happened, right? You would imagine there's been plenty of races where someone's come from behind and ended up winning. Yes. And even d- come from behind and ended up winning because of error uh, f- on the people in front who screwed up. But it hasn't necessarily entered the linguistic you know, arena yeah. for yeah. that language
1: and become a thing. But this is where the whole field fell over. Yeah. You know, like yeah, Like yeah, yeah, the yeah. World Athletics Championships that's on at the moment, um, earlier in the week, uh, in, the, in fact, in the first second day so it was the first one of the first finals on the track the mixed four by 400 meters relay yeah um the united states were expected to win and they had been boasting about going to break the world record um the dutch were leading with five meters to go and Femke cabal who the dutch woman who was running the last leg Mm -hmm. fell with five meters just fell over with five metres to go. As in tripped over herself. Yeah, yeah. She's just exhausted at yeah. the end of a 400 metre run. Mm-hmm. Um, and she just fell over. So yeah. it was uh, the how... Americans won. Now, it might have been, they were very close. Now, it might have been the American woman had got past her anyway mm-hmm. because she was clearly fading. Yeah, but... but how
0: many times, I've seen that same kind of thing happen where someone tries to celebrate too early in a marathon or whatever oh, yeah. and
1: they don't realise the person's oh, no. metres yeah. behind yeah. them. Yeah. And, and they many start many slowing case... down with their there's arms There's many in the cases air. of that, particularly in heats and semifinals yeah. and sprints. Yeah. Where they slow down? (laughs) You go. There's no reason to slow down. Yeah, Yeah. the irony with the Femke Bol one though is that that happened about 15 minutes after another Dutch woman fell 20 meters from the line, leading in the 10,000 meters. So two Dutch women fell that Mm -hmm. were that were leading. Within eyesight of the finish, there's line. a
0: conspiracy in there. So, yeah, there's a, conspiracy, there's a and conspiracy. Someone doesn't like the
1: Dutch. Well, ironically, <laughs> exactly. Ironically, Femke Bol won last night in the 400 meter hurdle. So prepared yeah. event. Uh, what is that line easily, from? Is that so. um,
0: Austin Powers? There's only two kinds of people I don't, I can't stand in this world: people who are intolerant of other people's cultures
1: and the Dutch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is Austin Powers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, love that. Yeah. I don't, know why, I don't know why the Dutch get picked on because Dutch. they're the
1: nicest people in the world. Yeah, so. I don't know. It's one of
0: those things. You don't have to be a bad person to get picked on,
1: right? No, exactly. <laughs> and particularly when it's done by yeah, in humour in a uh, in a movie.
0: Yeah, so. but anyway, I guess my point is, having learnt a bunch of languages now, you, you quite often learn phrases and ideas and things where you're just like it's such an obvious thing that 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 we do that in our native mm. language but we don't have a way of expressing it you know those those things that aren't translatable and i think that doing a bradbury is something that you couldn't easily translate into another language because of the cultural um layers to it yes and and it's just yeah, that's why
1: it becomes yeah. a it, phrase because it summarizes something so it does. complex. And it, it, so quickly. it summarizes something, that everyone something everyone complex knows. and everybody everybody can easily understand it. Mm-hmm. But it only makes sense in Australia because everybody, you know, certainly everybody over the age of 30 remembers Stephen Bradbury doing that. Yeah. Whereas intellectually if you got if you got told the story you'd go, "Oh, that makes sense." But to a non-Australian, it just hasn't become part of the culture. So.
0: Is, I'm trying to find this thing there's a guy... Yeah, here it is. Hyperart Thomason. So, there's this... I think it's Thomason in Japanese, is it? Is a type of conceptual art named by the Japanese artist um, Akasigawa Genpei in the 1980s. It refers to useless relics or structures um, that have been preserved as part of a building or the built environment, which has become a piece of, an, of art itself. And so, this guy has like an entire book where I think he's gone around Japan and he's just taken photos of useless parts of architecture that have been left in place just for the sake of leaving them in place. Right. And so, it's called Hyper Art Thomas. So, There's not ruins, just, it. just, no, but like, yeah. a, you know, a, um, a, a stair handrail that is still there, but the stairs have been removed. Are- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Or like stairs going up mm-hmm. to a um, up to a door on the second floor, but the door's been filled in with bricks yeah. and then painted over, <laughs> uh, but the stairs are still there. Um, Jap- Japan's got heaps of those, right? I think there's a whole bunch of those sorts of expressions and phrases that... Yeah. I suppose lots of languages do that we yeah, just don't know about. Are untrans- yeah, but there's yeah. always someone who's like, ah, that reminds me of this Japanese concept of yeah. blah, and you're just like... That's so funny that that is a thing. And I recognize that that's a thing, but we don't have a way of expressing that. And we have to use a Japanese word, you know, the art of blah. And I love Japanese people are just like, or Japanese culture is just so freaking weird, man. I just love it. I wish if I came back again, if I got to reincarnate, I think I'd probably want to come back Japanese just so that I could (laughs) experience it on the inside. But I remember like, they just, they come up with the most extreme hobbies that are futile or, or seemingly have no real point beside, in, besides just doing the hobby. Yeah. Like, there was one that I recently saw where there, there was a video on YouTube or on Facebook where this there's a, a job, someone makes incredibly small fishing rods out of bamboo, right? And you're kind of like, okay, he's just making them and collecting them. No, he's making them for people whose hobby... He's is catching them. incredibly small fucking fish. Oh, really? With incredibly small <laughs> fucking fishing rods. <gasps> and, and so... Yeah, so his job... So you have these guys... So, so he's... he's- <laughs>
1: Providing the materials for an even more ridiculous hobby. That's yeah.
0: it. So, you think initially you're like, man, this guy has a really weird hobby. And he's like, actually, no, this, this is not is a hobby, his this is his job. And and he's not uh, like, this isn't the weird part. The weird part <laughs> is he makes them for someone who goes then out into the rice them. fields yeah. and sits there quietly. with their little... And the job is to try and catch the smallest possible fish with the smallest possible fishing rod. And so, they end up catching things that are like mosquito fish. Yeah. And they don't keep them. I was like, they're going to have some sort of a thing where they catch a hundred of them and they turn it into sushi or no, some kind of no, dish. No, no, no. no, they just release them. And what then he walks do? off, you know, and yeah, he's just yeah, like, yeah. all in a day's work. It's and like it's the sunset. And the guy's yeah. just like, yes, that was a a um, quality day in my life. You know, <laughs> I, I just find that stuff endlessly fascinating. There's always something that, some japanese person has taken to an extreme in the past and it's become a full movement well and there are people who but, love it but uh,
1: there's lots of hobbies like that and i'll use myself as an example mm-hmm. i spent most of wednesday driving to a location <laughs> sitting at this location for 5 hours and then driving home from that location 3 hour drive so yeah. that's like 11 so hours take of a my life. and it wasn't even just taking the photo it was just seeing it yeah, and mm-hmm. the photos that I caught, took were crap photos. They're never going to be used publicly, but they are <laughs> a record of seeing the, the bird. Yeah, and it's a rare bird. But so that mm-hmm. that sort of twitching, as it's yeah, commonly yeah. called, the the we talked about just this in ab- the past. Yeah, we have just mm-hmm. observing a rare bird somewhere is of no value to humanity <laughs> whatsoever, <laughs> other Outside than the entertainment of value of the participant. Yeah. Fulfillment yeah. is what exactly. you're chasing, yeah. yeah. And
0: I, I think that's the the beauty of these sorts of things, like the Japanese man who's catching these tiny little fish with a tiny fishing rod. It's so arbitrary, and you look at that on the surface, and you're like, "This, this is fucking ridiculous." Like, <laughs> like of all the things. But then, yeah, as you say, you think about something like bird watching, yeah. or there are plenty of things. I think the the level of ridiculousness that's that it probably has relates to how useful you think it is to someone else right like if you think about someone a young kid playing guitar 10 hours a day for years at a time and in his bedroom you know Mm. it has a completely different feel to it where other people can enjoy the music it could be potentially a career it's so many people do it it's not seen as a kind of like weird thing but then if if it was a young kid doing that and he was playing the flute you know, or even not the flute, but some really arbitrary, like maybe some you know, ancient instrument from if he's
1: <laughs> if he's building card houses, yeah, yeah, houses out of packs of cards and practicing that. Like, yeah, you'd be like, what yeah, is wrong with you? Get okay, <laughs> yeah. but but
0: it is so funny that ultimately it does just come back to really chasing fulfillment, trying to achieve something, mm. trying to do something hard, yep. and it and and accomplish it, and the the self fulfillment that you feel as a result of achieving that thing. Yeah. Whether or not other people respect it or enjoy it is not the point. It's it's about how you feel about it at the end of the day. And uh, exactly. You want, that's why Japanese people live so long because they are in the moment and they are so chill because they're concentrating on doing something and focusing on being fulfilled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. You guys will have to let me know if I'm missing out on any other really interesting um... <laughs>
1: I'm sure you'll get... <laughs>
0: That's it. Overwhelmed <laughs> with ridiculous now. Uh, I don't know. I just love that sort of stuff. I think I feel like that's something that John Cleese would probably talk about, right? Yeah. Like we went and saw him recently. And I found out that I've been saying his name incorrectly my entire life. John Cleese. Yeah. Or Yeah, run with Cheese because well, that was his, name his is original cheese. surname. Yes. Anyway, so, yeah, doing a Bradbury. Yeah. We wanted to talk about him because he, he recently popped up in the news. He and did. I was, originally, I was looking at it and I'm like, why is he at a beach? And what's he done now? Like, yeah. what, what is he doing? Is he started an organisation or he's, you know, whatever? He rescued four people from drowning. Yeah, he
1: was just out <laughs> surfing and noticed some guy get into trouble out the back of the waves mm-hmm. and went out to get him. And then there were three others out there as well. And he brought the first guy in and then went back out. Yeah. Picked up the three people and tried to get them in, but the four of them on the on his surfboard were just three, too well, yeah, yeah, the four Him total, and the, yeah, the three yeah. others were just too much for the flotation, and they but just getting knocked they had off. Waves. So, um, he I think his son was out with him, and his yeah. son went back in and got and got some. Got help. The, I think he'd sent uh, the son help. to go get help when he yeah, noticed, and he, and got, he went came out. back out and they rescued the I'm whole thing. Like, it's
0: pretty impressive for that kind of to take place. Obviously, it took place pretty quickly, but yeah. it seems like if you only have enough time to go out there bring someone back and then try and go out there again to save them and then you get help afterwards you're like how did these people not drown apparently one of them was a good swimmer and the others just weren't but yeah apparently i've heard one of the most dangerous
1: people in the world is someone who thinks they're drowning
0: especially when you're in the water with them (laughs) i i've I've
1: rescued a couple of people from not quite drowning but who got into trouble in rips yeah and the trouble with rips is that if you don't know surf beaches And how the rip works and how the rip works, you can't what well, you can't see that they're there. And if you do know them they're quite easy mm-hmm. to see. But But then also you fight against it. You also fight against it. Mm-hmm. And you are there's, there's two ways of dealing with a rip. There's three ways of dealing with it. The first way fails, and then <laughs> yeah, to try you, and swim you against you it. You die. And yeah. you cannot swim against a rip. Well you, you can, you just don't you, go anywhere. You, you, no, you don't. You're still going backwards, <laughs> but you're going you're going out slower than you would be. Yeah. One is just go with it mm-hmm. because they'll only go a couple of hundred metres offshore yeah. and then you just Conserve swim sideways. Or the other one is you just swim across it and eventually you'll get out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's like
0: crossing a river, right, in yeah. that sense. You don't want to swim up river trying to get back to where you fell in. Yeah, You swim sideways and try and get out of the main current Exactly, right? and get to land
1: in yeah. the case of the river. But So, um... yeah, I've, I've rescued a couple of people, one of which I just talked them down. The other one I actually had to physically <laughs> handle um, because she panicked you Yeah, know, as soon as i get there they, they just grab hold of the and it's try the, and climb you. it's the old thing of you know the dying man will clutch at straws but they try and grab hold of you and climb and you just you know, cut it out you know, yeah so, well i think uh, it's just that instinct right i remember this is sort of a side
0: note but when i was doing my master's degree i was studying varanus varius right the um, lace monitor and they're australia's largest goanna and they live in trees and so they have feet hands, claws that look like an eagle's foot, yeah. really, like a lizard crossed with an eagle where the <laughs> claws are just insanely curved yeah. and they're built for climbing up trees, right? But when we caught these things, we'd have to catch them with a dog pole quite often, try and yeah. chase them while they were... They would bask underneath on the ground or, or on the side of a tree down low to get the sunlight. They would bask in the sun and you'd have to try and creep up and then um, chuck the a dog noose over them, them or use a trap leg. where you've attracted them with like yeah. rotting chicken. But... um I remember it was when I first started doing the field work and capturing these guys, you you have to kind of like duct tape them up. It's almost like some kind of um, BDSM kind of <laughs> thing where you, you duct tape their hands together, you duct tape their feet to their tail and you duct tape their mouth so yeah. they can't bite you. And you have to let them go against a tree. So, when so they we- they've got would, something else to grab hold when of. When we would, when we would let them go, you- yeah. Initially, you've got them all tied up, mouth's tied up. You push them up against a tree so that they can feel it, they can see it. You undo the back legs, you unwrap them and put them onto the tree. <laughs> yeah. You undo the front legs, you wrap, unwrap them, put them onto the tree, and you, you're pushing the lizard, which is about the size of a cat,
1: right? Maybe a bit yeah. heavier. Some but of them longer. get to about they're about 12. two metres long. Yeah, so yeah. but I mean, like be. the bodies, yeah. Yeah, yeah they're, they're about, what, eight to 10 kilos. Yeah. They can do some so. serious damage. Oh,
0: yeah. Um, but you... We're pushing it against a tree so that it couldn't get out. And then you would have to take the mouth. The last thing was taking the mouth thing off and holding the head and letting the head go. But yeah, you would have to let it go against a tree because if you just let it go on the ground, its instinct is to climb. Yeah. And so, there were stories of people who got fucked up because- They just ran straight up. Yeah, they (laughs) let the lizard go and there were no trees nearby. And it just turned around and ran up them effectively. And you just, yeah, you would not want to. I've still got a scar, I think, somewhere on one of my hands. Yeah, there it is. From where I got scratched um, by one of these guys that just tore me open. Um, But yeah, I remember that being a a funny sort of panic response from these Mm -hmm. lizards. The other thing was for them to also just not move. Yeah. They would just, it would be like they're playing dead. And then they
1: (laughs) would just go, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) But yeah, so Bradbury.
0: Got in the news recently. He did. Came back he got into He got
1: an award for uh, bravery, for rescuing yep. these people.
0: Back in the limelight. Yeah. So that was pretty cool.
1: So we have a new doing a Bradbury. Yeah, well, that's <laughs>
0: it. Is it going to change the... Uh... <laughs> There's going to be two different synonyms for yes. it now. The language is evolving.
1: Yeah. It's funny that, that whole idea, as we were talking about, of you know a, a person's name becoming synonymous with uh, you know, effectively an action that has been... Stretched past the thing that they actually did. Mm-hmm. Um, well,
0: this is Buckley's chance, right?
1: Yeah, potentially. Well, potentially. So I've, sure. I've got two answers to that one, but do you want to tell them about the where the the, the commonly accepted thing about Buckley's chance? Because that's only a very Australian thing. In fact, mm-hmm. it's a very Victorian thing. So,
0: well, we live in the area that William Buckley escaped. Well, where, where he ended up. Yeah. yeah, so he was a, an escaped convict or a convict yes. that was brought to Australia in the early 1800s. I think yeah. 1803. Or 1803
1: was the settlement in Sorrento, and on so the across, other side of the bay. across the
0: bay here, he he was they were here. I think they were just scouting the place out. No, they they, they
1: they tried to create a settlement. Um, <laughs> okay, and it it so lasted. I remember a, it was only temporary. It lasted a few months. Yeah. They were intending it to be a permanent settlement. Yeah, um, on in Port Phillip Bay. Yeah, uh, but. What they didn't realize that the water that they had was a um, ephemeral water. Yeah, it wasn't. wasn't there know, permanently. It wasn't there permanently. So um, there was a stream that they were camped beside to start with, and, and then dried it dried up, up and, and they were like bugger, so they left,
0: went back to. They it didn't it go Tatumania looking or? for anywhere
1: else. They just went back to. I well, think Van they Diemen's ended up Land. In, Yeah, they ended up in Van Diemen's Land. But
0: yeah, yeah he but, he yeah. ended up running off in the night with he four did. other convicts, yeah. I think. And there's an episode on this. On the podcast with Adam Courtney, who wrote right, a book about right, it, right? Book. So, go yeah. check that one out. But he ran around the bay, effectively, over a few days, and the rest of the convicts ended up either killing each other or running back home and getting punished, you know, right. going back. But he ended up living here for 35 years, years, 35 years with yeah. the indigenous Wathaurong people. Yeah. And um, then when, was it, Um, what's his name again? Batman. Batman came over in 1835 or yeah. 38 or whatever 35. it was. He encountered they one of the first people to come out of the bush was this white bearded and dude, he's a tall and they were like, What? White guy he's hell? about he
1: was, apparently he was about six
0: foot five yeah, or something. He was he's huge. a big guy, so. <clears throat> and so yeah, he was pretty much there warning them that they were about to be killed by the <laughs> local indigenous people. <laughs> yeah. But, um, so yeah, his the whole Buckley's chance thing was him the chance of surviving, the chance of surviving was effectively yeah. nil, right? If yeah. you were here by yourself with the indigenous people, because not just because the indigenous people would potentially kill you or anything like that, but because the way of surviving in these environments was so extreme that you mm. would have to have Indigenous-level knowledge yeah. to be able to survive, because you had to move around, follow different food sources, find water, all that sort of stuff. But he somehow managed to survive, I think, for about six months to a year without any Indigenous people being yeah, around. I'm not sure for how long,
1: all. but he may well have had you know, he ended incidental up in contact He
0: ended with up them. down in Torquay, in, and yeah. then eventually he he sort of got adopted into the Wathaurong, yeah. um a Watherong Clan or tribe yeah. around and lived with them for the majority of it.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but yeah, so that expression but comes But the bizarre from thing is, he just happened no to chance. be an
1: indented head when Batman arrived here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I think he probably saw the.
0: Um, yeah, he's, he would have seen yeah. the boats nearby or yeah. heard about it because I think he heard about it. But but yeah, the whole Buckley's Chance thing yeah. apparently either comes from that or, or a store called a store, Buckley's. Buckley's and Nun and, was yeah. the
1: name of a store in Melbourne, a department store uh, up until about the 1960s, early yeah. 70s. And that had always been my thought: is, is which one is it? Because because the expression used to be that Buckley's chance was a contraction of you've got two chances, mm-hmm. Buckley's and none. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you wonder if it is one of those things where so I reckon they're contracted together And they just yeah. merged into a single thing yeah. There would have been people who
0: who had that expression Or or saying, because of Buckley's and none yeah. And there may have been people prior he to that said, oh, Who you had got the Buckley's, Buckley's chance, chance of surviving Yeah, yeah. which is ironic because yeah, He ended up, we use it now to mean you've got no chance But Buckley survived Yeah <laughs> <And> So it's, <laughs> exactly. it's almost, the actual Buckley's <laughs> yeah, chance yeah. is like it's, Winning the it's lottery a, It is You're an ironic expression <laughs> Yeah, exactly yeah. So, yes. yeah, it's a cool one that you'll often hear. But, yeah,
1: those sorts of expressions with people's names immortalising yeah. them effectively. Yeah. And I it, it, There's it, a few of them it in dropped English. Out, it dropped out of... Um, and this was a, a sporting thing, probably even just an athletics thing, from the 1960s, late 60s into the 70s and 80s, mm-hmm. was doing a Beeman. Um, and that just sort of disappeared, I think, when you know, eventually people just sort of forgot. And that was Bob Beeman, who in the 1968 Olympics... Um, in the first jump, um, broke the world record by sixty centimeters. <laughs> like it is the single greatest sporting performance ever, and nobody will ever get close to it again. Um, you know, where you can, you, know, you can break a world record by effectively about ten percent. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's, it was eight percent. Uh, and it would be like somebody coming out and running a hundred metres in eight point eight seconds, you know, just breaking it by a second, not a hundredth of a second or a tenth of a second. But um, and that was and the thing was, he wasn't even favourite to win. Uh, there was a, a Welshman called Lynn Davies who had been the best long jumper in the world for a couple of years, and he was the favourite to win. And uh, Bob Beeman just came out, did this jump in the first round, and went, "I'm done." <laughs> like, no point in me taking another jump. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and that was that. Yeah, just the freak performance thing came mm. out for a while, but but it was so it was such a specific thing that it wasn't transferable to anything else.
0: But how did he manage to do it? Was it a different technique or no, it was it just he used the no, same as everyone else? He was just, and just, everyone, somehow managed it was just to a superhuman. Day.
1: One day, it was just this superhuman performance. Yeah. Like just, just who a, knows what Have Everything aligned. Just aligned. His entire physiology aligned on that mm-hmm. second that he hit the board and took off.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Far out. It's
1: bizarre. But...
0: All right. Well, anything else to mention Bradbury wise? Um, no,
1: I think we're Bradbury'd out. <laughs> well done, Steve. You did a good job.
0: I know. That's it. What was he, uh, hero. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Alright, see you next time, guys. Bye.